everyone. Hello. And welcome to episode number 18 of the D&D Music Factory podcast. I am David. And I'm Dan. And Dan, tell everyone what we're going to be breaking down today. So this week, we are taking you back in time to the glorious age of drum machines, pushed up sleeves, Doc Siders no socks with suits, synth, uh, day glow, hairspray. That's right. We're talking about the 1980s. And we are taking it back there because we are going to count down our top 10 favorite one-hit wonders of the 80s. Yes. And this one is... This was actually not easy for me to narrow down, but I felt like I was able to find easier ways to exclude stuff because one hit wonder you think is like pretty obvious right but like if you go on spotify some of these artists and songs you would probably consider to be a one hit wonder actually had some surprisingly large amount of plays so if you ran into one where it had a song that was also a number one hit even though we had never heard of it yeah i wanted uh she drives me crazy by the fine young cannibals right and i was like oh yeah totally like because i've never heard another song by that band that weirdo band (laughs) but it turns out they have a second number one hit that came out the same year off the same album and we played it, Dave, and we've never heard. Neither of, it. of us have ever heard this song. Yeah, and I had an instance with uh, Nina Cherry's "Buffalo Stance," which would have been in here, but that's not even her number one song on Spotify. So I don't know what the fuck happened. Um, I didn't know she had any others. I knew she had other music. Never heard anything. Played that song. Never heard it before, but it had like ten million more plays. So who the fuck knows? It's tough. Um, like we, like I said, there was some ways we could kind of narrow this down. One of the parameters I set for myself was if it's if a song has like if an artist has a song with like 20 million plays that you've never heard of and the hit has like half of a billion, that's a one hit wonder. There's a big gap between yeah. one and two. Because we were saying there's there's always artists that like they had a follow up hit, you know what I mean? Because yeah. the label was like, ah, oh, push this song if they like that song, and it's like number like the first song hit number one and the second song hit like 83 yeah and you're like that's not a second hit man. right and and let's be honest we've all done this that's, that's an aftershock right? yeah there, i think the when i say residual plays i mean let's be honest you put a song on on a record and then you just walk away and forget that you're playing three or four more songs from the same album <laughs> you turn like, after like 10 minutes you're like the if fuck you, is this if song? you do that to a song that has 500 million plays there's going to be a mil- a few million times where people just left let it play. Yeah, like track, or track two on the album has. You know. That's a, that, to me. Yeah, that's a combination of people who let it play and forgot, and people who were like, "I wonder what the rest of this sounds like." And they went, "Nope, not going past track two. and that's the end of it. So yeah, by yeah. track four, it has it's like eleven thousand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, another one that was the easiest differentiator for me was if the song is listed multiple times. In the popular section in, on Spotify yeah. for them, uh, there's one I have that's like outrageous. Well, um, there's some of them that yeah. I found like they're like greatest hits, radio hits of the '80s, and it's like that, like that song from that compilation mm-hmm. has like 11 million plays. Yes, yeah. You're like, oh wow, this is definitely pretty popular. And that's right behind the original version and then the live version or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, um. Definitely, I mean, this This is fun. Anybody who knows me well knows I'm fucking obsessed with the 80s. You love the 80s. I love 80s music. It's amazing. I love synths. I love 
just give me all of it. So I had a lot of fun narrowing this down. But, um, you know, as it is every week, we've got some B-sides. Dan, why don't you hit us with some of yours that just missed the cut this week? Some of my missed B-sides are uh, I Think We're Alone Now by Tiffany. Oh, great song. Um, great, great little song. Great actress, too. She was in all those, like, shark to puss first yeah, rhino yeah. natos. Dude, there's a documentary about these, like, three grown adults that are, like, obsessed with her. Oh, um, I've heard about it's this. It's really weird. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't think I want to watch it. Yeah, find it if you can. It's real strange. It's funny. It, I mean, sad, but funny. Yeah. Um, not not funny haha. <laughs> funny, like, oh, my God, these people's lives are awful. Well, like, Rita Rudnick funny? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what am I like a clown? Am I some what kind am of I clown, clown here to amuse you? No, he's a big boy. How am I funny? Um, another song that I think uh, barely just missed is uh, Salt and Peppa's "Push It." That came so, out in the eighties. Uh, wait, yes. wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! They are not a one-hit wonder. Also, why it didn't make it? Okay, uh, but it's just it's like the differential between that song and their next song is massive. But. Also, like, <laughs> I was also looking at it, and I was like, there's no words to this song. It's they just keep saying salt and peppers just, here. Ah, push it. Salt um, and peppers here. Yeah, salt, and pe- salt, salt, salt and peppers here. Um, there's, like, ten words to the whole song. It's just, like. And they're all great. It's just, like, an 11-minute hype track. Yeah. Um, oh, what's it called? Back to Life by Soul to Soul and Karen Wheeler. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. A real nice break beady like, 80s track. It's so good. And then uh, on the on the like eighties movie tip, uh, "Forever Young" by Alphaville. Yes, um, a great slow dance at the prom sort of track. They have another song called "Big in Japan" that it, I don't know if it ever did anything, but it's like I weirdly like that song. And then my number one eighties weirdo, uh, Gary Newman, Cars. Um, he's such a weird Brian Eno kind of dude. He's got so many cool records. But, like, it was his, like, one attempt to make a song to, like, make himself some money. And it's such a great song, but it's so fucking weird. It is really strange. And, like, the lyrics are strange. And his vocal delivery is strange. But he has a bunch of really cool post-punk albums. Um, even as late as, like, last year that he put one out. They're super cool. Uh, so, Gary Newman. Everyone should check him out. He's really neat. Uh, and he has that weird Cars song from the 1980s. That I think a lot of people assume is by the band Cars. But it's not. It's by Gary Newman. Right. That's off his record, Pleasure Principle. And the cover is just as creepy as you think it'd be. All right. So, uh, Dave, what are, what are the songs that missed for you? All right. So, um, this this is just in the order that they're in my list here. Uh, the song Too Shy by Kaja Gugu. You oh, know yeah. the song. You definitely know the song. One Thing Leads to Another by The Fix. Our House by Madness. Oh. Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil. Der Commissar by After the Fire. Um, Relaxed by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Whip It by Devo, 99 Luftballoons by Nina. I'm just going to stop because I'm going to give us, give like 15 other lists away pretty soon. Yeah. We'll just, oh, uh, Safety Dance by Men Without Hats too. Oh, and. <laughs> that dance isn't as safe as they say. Yeah. No, definitely not. Uh, True by Spandu Ballet, which was also featured and could have potentially made the cut in times when they sing in movies when, um. What was his name? I forget the guy's name in it, Wedding Singer. Oh, yeah. Was it George? Poor George. Yeah. Yeah, it was George. George. Yeah, yeah. When he sings that in that movie, it's so funny. Oh, and uh, Tarzan Boy by Baltimore, which at one point was the number one worst song, I think, ever on NPR's like 
Maybe not worst ever, but they always do like the Bad Music Friday or something like that. Was we built this city on rock and roll from the 1980s? Yes, but I don't know. Yeah, that's not their only hit, though. They yeah, had Jane. Well, I mean, Jefferson Starship had Jane. So. Well, at that point, they were just Starship. Yeah, you know what? I gotta, I gotta get more, uh, get more in depth in my Starship research. To be honest with you, we need to do a granular episode where we just count down. We just get down the, the different iterations of Jefferson. The ten best of the Jefferson slash Starship yeah. spaceship, or airship. just, or just the oral history of <laughs> of the Starship. And here's where it went off the rails. Yep. Kids. Yep. All right, well, uh, that's a good place for us to transition. Dan, why don't you hit us with your number five? All right, my number five uh, favorite one-hit wonder from the 1980s comes to us from 1989 off the album Stone Cold Ryman by Young MC. This is Bust a Move. Um, This song is great. Immediately it kicks off. The little guitar riff kicks in. That's actually uh, a sample uh, from... An artist called Ballin' Jack. The song is called Found a Child. And it's got drums from another band called Royal Cash Radioactivity uh, that was sampled for the song, uh, basically to build the backbeat for it. But this song is so good, man. It has one of my favorite rap lyrics of all time. Just next day's function, high-class luncheon, food is served in your stone-cold munchin'. Like, are you kidding me, man? How are you not going to feel good on this? Like... The backing vocal and the chorus, like, you want it. It's, I love this song so much, man. Oh, it's great. Um, it was the 1990 Grammy winner for Best Rap Performance, and it hit number seven on the Billboard charts. And this is crazy, Dave. So it hit the number seven spot on the Billboard charts at its peak. Peaked at number seven, and it stayed on the Billboard Hot 100 for 39 weeks in a row and stayed for 20 of those weeks at the top 40. That's insane. Like, that means this song was everywhere for, like, half of the year. Yeah. Like, for a good five months, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing this song. Like, that's insane, man. Yeah. Uh, that's so cool. And, like, just, I mean, this song's so fun, man. It, it, it is. It For whatever reason, it doesn't feel like an 80s song to me. It feels no, like a 90s song. It does feel like a 90s song. And but, I think that's probably why it appeals so much to me, as yeah. I am not as dire a lover of the 80s as you are. Not many people um, are. That's that's undoubtedly true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, a uh, fun little tidbit about this song is the bass line for the song, as well as in the video, is performed by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So was uh, this like the first thing he did? Yeah, this is... Wait, is this the first thing Flea did? Yeah. Um, no, man, because the Red Hot Chili Peppers were doing that, like, funk bullshit in, like, 84. Oh, really? Like, they, with, like, Hello Slovak and, like... Oh, yeah, I guess early, right. Or even before Hello, Like, those early demos were, like, I want to say, like, 85, 86 when they were doing that. That makes sense, actually, yeah. Yeah. I think maybe because your, all your songs are, like, later in the 80s and mine are earlier in the 80s mm-hmm. that I feel like everything is earlier in the 80s. Yeah. So I'm like, 81? How the hell was he... But, like, yeah, it wasn't. It was, like, 88, 89. Yeah, yeah, this song's from 89. So, like, it's it's the tail. It's right before they got yeah. big. So I'm sure this is probably very early in Flea. But, uh, yeah, when he was still, you know, doing studio work for money. Nice. Uh, yeah, and it's. I think this is, like, one of those cool, like, transition-y kind of songs that goes from one decade to another. Like, it, like we both said, it sounds and feels more 90s, and I think that's probably... Be- because a lot of people heard this and were like, oh, shit. Like, let's sound and I think, like that. And I think it's got a lot of that, like, 80s goofy playfulness to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, you know, the fun, like, you know, Bismarcky kind of, like, or, like, 
you know, Heavy D and like the Fat Boys and like that kind of thing before gangster rap took over hip hop. Yeah, and more, everything got serious and intense. Yeah, it's definitely a completely different style of rapping that, yeah. that existed back then. It's it's more like you know the Fresh Prince stuff and things like yep. that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it has kind of a more of a '90s breakbeaty like production to it, more of like a boom bap yeah. kind of beat, um, especially with the sampling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely, definitely, I agree. Feels much more '90s than '80s. Yep. Uh, yeah, so with that, uh, Dave, that is my number five pick. So what's up for you? All right. Up at number five for me is In a Big Country by Big Country. Um, this is a little bit of a sadder story, I guess, than some of the other artists on here. But sometimes you only do one hit because of a sad reason and not just because like you just you know blew your load and only had one creative song in you or whatever. So... Um, this is side one, track one off of their debut album, which is pretty impressive. It reached uh, number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100, and the album reached uh, the top 20 of the Billboard 200. Uh, and it was their only single uh, to reach the top 40 in the US. Um, they actually, after the success of this song, performed it in the, at the Grammys and on SNL, um, which is, the Grammys is more surprising than SNL. I feel like you can get on SNL with like you know maybe one hit single. And SNL sometimes. does they definitely do like some more underground kind of stuff. Too. Yeah, because they, they want to be the one that like gets somebody first. Yeah, they want they yeah. want to break someone. You know, they had yeah. like you know Silverchair played. Yeah, the replacements. Played SNL. Yeah, yeah replacement. Yeah. yeah, the one apparently they were like so drunk they like fired them immediately. Yeah, they came. They played songs they didn't rehearse. Came back after their rehearsal in each other's clothes and were so drunk and sloppy that they were like, yeah, you guys have never come back. Like they threw them out of the green room after they performed because they didn't want them like on the stage for like the end of it. Yeah, yeah, they were that bad. Um, So anyway, uh, Big Country, they they had put out a bunch of records. Their second album did okay in the UK, really didn't do anything here. Then um, on Christmas in 1984, they were part of the Band-Aid recording of Do They Know It's Christmas. They weren't in the song. They were in uh, the B-side. It was just kind of like a spoken word thing, and they were just kind of narrating something. It was like them, David Bowie, and two other people that were on this B-side. So, I mean, that's still pretty cool and, and rare to be included in something like that for somebody that's only a one-hit wonder. Um, they ended up touring as like an opener, I guess, for Queen and Roger Daltrey. Um, then they put out a third record in the UK, did a little bit better in the US, but really was never as successful as this one. Um, and then they put out a fourth record, which everyone was like, you guys are clearly just trying to get your US audience back and kind of like rip them to shreds for it. Um, so obviously that didn't go over super well. Um, they then recorded a fifth album in the nineties and almost broke up the band. Um, the same year, they were dropped by their label, which was Mercury, and their distribution at the time, and they basically just became like a minor act from from that point going forward. Um, after that, the lead singer um, started becoming like a really bad alcoholic, and the rest of the band kind of be, started to become concerned at him about him. He split up from his wife, ended up moving to the U.S. in Nashville, I think, and. Um, they kind of like pulled themselves together, worked on an on an eighth record, 
It's crazy. It's crazy for a band that's like struggling to be putting out this many records, but they they kept going. Um, so in '99 they released their eighth record. Um, then the the kind of like poor response from that led the lead singer to become even more depressed and start drinking even more. And then he disappeared for like half of the rest of that year. And then just like came back and was like, oh, I just I just needed a break. And so the rest of the band was like, well, we kind of we kind of keep our private lives to ourselves. We don't really intermingle in that way. And that's why we've been able to be, you know, to last as long as we have, because we don't really like get in each other's way. Um, but then in 2001, they played a, they did a farewell tour that ended uh, in October of that year. They played their final show. In November of that year, the lead singer went missing, um, and they put out like on their website. They were like, "If anybody has seen him, please contact any of us, his family, like whatever." Um, and then, unfortunately, a month later, they found him dead in a hotel room in Honolulu, in, in Hawaii. So, tragic end. Um, Yikes! Yeah, um, just definitely like a story of like a band and a guy that like just wanted to keep chasing that one single for so long and just was never able to recreate it, which is really sad. But I've always loved this song. I, you know, for for a one hit, this is a fucking banger in my opinion. So, hate to end it so sad, but it's a great song and and worth listening to a lot. Um, even though the rest of it apparently wasn't wasn't so great. So, sorry to be a bummer on that one. Uh, I promise the rest of them won't be. Yeesh. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, sometimes you're only uh, sometimes the one hit is the the downfall of you too. So it sucks, but. That's that's the way life goes for some people, I guess. I don't know what to say. Um, all right. Well, I'll, after that, Dan, see if you can pick us back up with your number four track. Yeah. Geez, Jesus Christ. Sorry, all man. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. So hopefully uh, this is probably the most 80s song I have in my selections. Um, this is Tell It to My Heart by Taylor Dane off of Tell It To My Heart in 1987. This song is, it is smothered and covered in 80s goo. Oh, yeah. um, it's got the like, Caps the, too. the like child toy Casio keyboard. It's got the like ridiculous drum machine. It's got the Mega Man X horns yep. playing like I'm Afraid Chill Penguin or Spark Mandrill is about to come out of the speakers <laughs> and attack me. That's right, Spark Mandrill. Damn. Um, and Chill Penguin. Um, so, but this song, my number one thing that I like about this is if you take all of the 80s, like, dance synthy, you know, disco club kind of stuff off of it, man, it's just this woman delivering this super powerful vocal. It's really, really strong, man. It's, she's got a little throatiness to her voice, and, like, obviously, like, everything in the 80s, they, like, quadruple layer the voice. Yeah. So, like, a little of that rawness is covered up, but you can definitely still hear it. And I think that's, I think that kind of stuff was lost in the 80s. Um, those kind of raw performances uh, that I feel like this song has, and I love it, man. Uh, oddly enough, the guy who wrote this song, whose name is Seth Swirsky, Jesus Christ, what a nightmare. <laughs> um, he almost threw this song away because he didn't think it was that good. And how, how um, Taylor oh, Dane found this album is she wrote to the music production company was like, hey, do you guys have any demos that like people are just like, that aren't getting picked up and nobody really wants? And they're like, oh yeah, this guy Seth wrote this song that he thinks is kind of shitty. I mean, if you can do something with it. 
and it turns out that she did do something with it because this song um, debuted on Billboard and in October of 87, and this is pretty funny, um, at like number like 48, like really an unimpressive kind of thing. But it took 10 weeks of being on the charts until January. Like it wasn't until the fall that it started climbing. And in January, it peaked at number seven and was like a huge hit for like the next 18 weeks. Oh, wow. So really kind of a funny, like, it came out, no one really cared, and then it blew up later. I don't know if it got used it's a very in a roundabout film way. or yeah. like, maybe it like, maybe it had to come on in like the clubs, the club scene had to take it. It sounds like it should have been there from the start. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a perfect, like, when I picture people doing like that, like weird 80s dance where they like are just kind of posing and then jerk motioning to the next pose. Like, not quite voguing, but, like, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like, did you ever see the movie Adventureland? Yes. When Great it would movie. show those, like, those like three girls that would dance in front of, like, the Tilt-A-Whirl ride. Like, this is, all, this is the song that's playing while they do it. Oh, is it really? And it's, like, it's fucking perfect. It's, like, the most, like, two girls with, like, the tease-out hair and the side ponies yeah. that are, like, always chewing gum. And they're doing this, like, weird, like semi-seductive dance to it to like bring customers in oh um, now i do now yeah. i remember it yeah. like this is how i picture that song i just um, picture it like the like 80s workout lady with like the oh the yeah, spandex. yeah and the leg warmers and, yeah yeah, that, yeah i picture everybody listening to that yo song. that's where, definitely where real that? and like come that's on now right now yeah take it back now y'all yeah like they have that little oh dude my mom used to do all those tapes when i was a kid oh yeah she loved Richard them simmons man. yeah i don't know about but no like all the uh the like what's it called like the buns of steel oh yeah and like yeah, all yeah. of those and like they you would they would come with like a vhs tape and like a step yep and like two little three pound weights yeah because stepping up half of an inch is how you how you really get <laughs> stepping's your how up. you get that burn in man that's true yeah. so with that dave uh what is your pick uh your next pick for favorite uh single jesus christ with that dave what's your next pick for favorite one hit wonder from the 80s all right, up at number four for me is We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off by Jermaine Stewart. And I may have said that I wasn't going to have any more downers, but this one has a little bit of a downer, too. I'm just but, picturing this song for, like, weird Christian camp kids. Yes. Like, singing like this to anthem. each other with yeah. their purity rings on. So, not exactly related, but one, as I'm known to do, um, based on, you know, what we talked about in our first episode... I like to put the music, put the windows down and turn the music up real loud when I'm driving in my car. And one day I got stopped. Uh, for anybody who's listening to this that's familiar with the general area we grew up in here in the like Montgomeryville, Lansdale area, uh, I was on 309, driving north. Happened to be right next to an establishment called Susie's Lounge, stuck in traffic. Didn't even yeah. realize it. Just blasting this song as a bunch of the strippers were like walking out of there. And so I'm just Susie's like, Lounge, for anyone that's not from our area, is a very, very deplorable low-grade strip club. Yeah, yeah, you can call it that. It's a strip club where the lights are on. So I guess it's, it's you, like go-go dancing more no, than like a strip club. No, right? it, no, it's it's a strip club. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just a bad one. So. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so this song peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100 um, and is listed, uh, like I was saying before, this is listed three times in his most popular songs on Spotify, so clearly the only hit. Um, so Jermaine uh, moved to Chicago at a young age 
and started out as a dancer on the Soul Train TV show. Um, and then at some point, Soul Train moves to LA and he decides not to. So he and a few other people that were on the show were uh, auditioning to be a part of a, a group called Shalimar. And two of the people I guess that he was close with became backup singers. And he just missed out on becoming the main vocalist um, and was kind of like relegated to like being a backup dancer, but, but stuck with him. He then uh, started touring with the group and went on tour in London and met uh, Mikey Craig, who was the bassist of what was at that point the up and coming uh, group that there called Culture Club. And oh yeah, their their big single had just come out, so they were kind of blowing up. And this guy Mikey helped him um, get a demo going and recorded that, and then got him actually as a backup singer on an upcoming Culture Club song called Miss Me Blind, um, which was pretty successful over there. I, I'm not familiar with that one, but um, based off of that success and his demo tape and his relationship with Culture Club, he was uh, able to get a deal with Arista Records. And then shortly after that, he put out a uh, an album called The Word Is Out, which was just kind of like, forgot. It's a it's, It was a forgettable record, I guess. Um, nobody really paid much attention to it. Then... Um, but I think people had started to see that he had like an appeal because he was like da- uh, like a really good dancer and was like dressing really like interestingly. So they gave him another chance. And his second record is the one uh, it's called Frantic Romantic, which this song was on. Um, and this sing- this song was written by two different people. Um, they're kind of like partners, I guess. The main guy's name is Narada Michael Walden, who is a producer, um, songwriter, and he's the current drummer for Journey actually, which is weird. He also produced records for The Temptations, Aretha Franklin, Sister Sledge, Herbie Hancock, Whitney Houston, Clarence Clemens, George Benson, Kenny G, Lionel Richie, and Mariah Carey, and was a drummer for Jeff Beck, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, Chick Corea, Jaco Pistorius, and Carlos Santana. And if you're familiar with all of those names, that means this dude is a very good drummer because those are some of the best musicians ever to play their their yeah, uh, man, their instruments like with the Mahavishnu orchestra i mean if yeah, you're like, you, if you're taking over for billy cobham like yeah i mean he was unbelievable right man. yeah um and the music video for this song you're not gonna believe this david fincher directed the music video that's so fucking great yeah he, he i didn't realize how many music videos he did early on in his career yeah that's, but that the, was like that's how big, he cut his teeth yeah and and this was one of his like real early ones um so the what, what's going to lead into um, the sad part of the song is the lyrics of the song are kind of about like um, you don't have to do what everybody's telling you to do. You don't have to go out there and do drugs and and have unprotected sex and take your clothes off for people you don't want. And he kind of wrote this song like during like when the AIDS scare was starting. And then uh, as a cruel twist of fate. He gets AIDS and dies shortly after or shortly before he could kind of like make his way back into the music industry. He got uh, liver cancer because of the AIDS and then was like trying to like record and fight his way back and unfortunately passed. So total bummer. Um, th- but that was like an eight year gap in between when this song came out and when he passed away where he released a few other things. It just 
never quite lived up to the the the, the hype. But super talented singer, super great dancer. It's a bummer. Yeah, um, R.I.P. Man. Yeah, R.I.P. So that's two. Now I promise that's the last bummer. I swear. Do you have any more dead people to to tell? No, us about everybody else game? I believe is still alive, as far as my notes suggest. That's the end of the bummers. Sorry, everybody. All right. Up next yeah. is our song by Nicole Simpson. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Sorry. All right. Sorry, everyone. Dan, please bring us back to a somewhat happy place here with your next pick. Okay. So my next pick. Good God. What is wrong with me? What are you doing this week? I don't man? know. I'm sorry. This is what happens when you give me two weeks to get more notes. I start finding out way more sad shit. You dug too deep, Dave. I did. You dug, I dug too way deep. too deep. I, that's, that's the problem. I need to be reeled in. I need a sh- I need a tiny window and a tiny amount of brain power to do very little research. You That's cast what the, I need. You cast the rod and you're pulling up like angler fish. Man. I am. Yeah, you know what I'm I, from I, the I, fucking dark depths. Yes. Yeah, those little guys with the weird little like light bulbs on their heads. Yeah, That's man. what I'm fishing yeah, for now. The angler fish. Yeah. So yeah, don't let me do this again. Or that one that like deflates when you pull it out of the water. Oh, the blobfish. The blobfish. Yeah. All right. So my next pick for. Uh, favorite one hit wonders from the 1980s is the oh, arguably my favorite duo of the decade, or I'm sorry, my favorite duet of the decade. Uh, this is don't you want me by the human league off their 1981 album dare. Uh, this song is so great, man. Like, Oh yeah. I was working like, it's so good, man. Uh, the duet aspect of this is incredible. Um, I feel like, you better change it back or we will both be sorry. It's so good, man. It builds so well. It's perfect. Um, it's got that same, like, that very 80s, like, almost like Kermit the Froggy kind of voice uh, that <laughs> I, I love so, that so many, like, English singers had back then. Yeah. Um, it's like the, the super mumbly no, early 90s singers. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's the, yeah, it is the yowling of the 90s in the 80s was yeah. the, yeah. was trying to do that, like, deadpan, like, this is the song about what we're singing. Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's what they're all doing. Um, every single person. <laughs> and it's so ridiculous. Like, I don't know who the fuck started that. But like Jesus Christ, bro! It's everyone. Yeah. Like it's it's a you know it's the from the nineties. It's mm-hmm. just that. Um, yep. <laughs> so uh, this is the first song to hit number one on the U.S. Billboard charts that used the LM1 drum machine uh, from Lynn. That I think that's a pretty cool stat for this song. Um, yep. Actually, one of mine uses that as well. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's pretty wild that like. That was, I remember for a while, like, when you hear stories about studios and, like, when those first were coming out, like, producers and everybody were like, that's so fucking dumb. They're like, no one's ever going to want to hear that. Sure enough, it became the, you know, it is, it's like the gated reverb drum, like the, the cannon shot snare. Yep. That became so synonymous with the 80s. Um, but this song was number one on the billboard for three weeks. Um, it is also the highest selling single of 1981. And the fifth highest selling single of the decade. Like, that's crazy, man. This is the fifth biggest selling song of the 1980s. That's nuts. Uh, I think, I mean, it's just like, oh man, I wish, I wish more couples would stop singing that fucking song from A Star Is Born at karaoke and sing this song. Cause like I never see people do this song, and I would. Because they don't have the balls. Man. I would, yeah. I mean, like it's not a vocally challenging. Like, don't you want? 
Like it's, you know what I mean. We all know your opinion. On the it's vocals. so easy to do, but like it's great. Like you could 100 percent do it, but nobody's ever busting the song. I would cheer the shit out of that if somebody ripped the song. I love it, man. Um, just such a great goofy like, the idea of like him coming in and being like, oh, I was like this big thing and I was really cool and you were probably into it, and then her her part comes in and she's just like, nah. <laughs> like, yeah. nah, I really wasn't feeling it. Which makes sense because she's far more successful than him now. Yeah. She's like, yeah, like I was a waitress and now you're a fucking bum, bro. Yep. Um, so yeah, with that, that was, uh, that's, that's my, uh, number two pick. So Dave, uh, I'm sorry. That's my number three pick. So Dave, uh, what is your number three? All right. I told you it wasn't going to be any more bummers than I meant it. Up at number three is let the music play by Shannon. Now, similar to uh, Tell It To My Heart by Taylor Dane, like you talked about earlier, this is just one of those, like, fucking club classics from the 80s. It's just, it's everything dance music in the 80s, like, that yeah, makes me, like, so fucking I just want to do that, like, orangutan arm dance. You know the one okay. where you, like... Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. That scared one of my cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come get some. So, uh... Um, this song appears four times in the top five most popular songs on her Spotify. So you you know this is the only true hit she had. If that's I mean that's that's unbelievable. I don't think anybody's got five. Um, this is another one on my list that's a side one, track one, and on the debut album. So um, could have been used in other lists as well. Peaked at number eight on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Billboard Dance Charts. And went over, went on to sell over one million copies worldwide, and got her a Grammy nomination for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. This is also a title track too, I believe. Um, it might be. Is uh, the album "Let the Music Play"? No, I don't think so. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it is a "Let the Music Play." Yeah, you're right. Good call, Dan. To be all on them lists. Yeah. Um. So, this is um. Sorry credited- to derail. What's that? <laughs> said sorry to derail. No, you're fine. So this this song was actually credited by a lot of people as being the song that brought uh, dance pop. I'm doing air, air quotations here. Um, <laughs> that created this kind of genre of dance pop, which was songs that sound like they're just made for a club, but are also played on the radio. So like people were starting to get a little bit like sick of disco at that point and wanted something better, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and this was kind of like the next dance thing that, that came after that. Um, so this song was, uh, produced by two, two men named Chris Barbarossa and Mark Liggett, who, um, who play all the instruments on the track. And, um, this was, um... Use, the song uses a Roland uh, TR-808, which most people just know as an 808, um, using some gates as a drum machine with a fuck ton of reverb and on the kick and snare, like basically every 80s drum sound ever. Gotta be gating that reverb, yep. man. Um, but it was the first one to combine the 808 with the Roland TV-303, which is a bass synth, and that combination basically created... Uh, at the entire acid house sound that went on for like the 80s and 90s after that and if you look up acid house 
or just the TB303 synth, you will recognize so many songs that use that synth. The 808, you should all know. It's like one of the most popularly used drum machines ever. It's still used in popular music. Kanye named a fucking album after it. Yeah, because um, uh, because of this this song and those instrument pairings, this song always reminds me of, what's it called? Uh, Into the Groove by Madonna. Yeah. That came out in 87 that basically completely parodies this song. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And um, the so, some, so recently... Um, Tame Impala actually uses, I don't know if they actually use the 303 or if they just like use like a patch of it or something, but from, um, what's this other, uh, slow rush. No, from, from their last album, they like dig a little deeper song. Currents. Cur- no, from it's, it's no, slow it's rush a, is the slow rush. One. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the name of the song though on there. Um, it's we just call it deeper, but it's also the, the like main bass riff in defunct by Daft Punk. You, you'll know it as soon as you hear it. So, so definitely look that up. They actually like had something called the Shannon Sound um, after this song came out because it was like nobody had heard that shit before. Oh, dude, I'm trying to get my own sound. Yeah, right? Um, especially because fucking um, Africa Bambata's Planet Rock is considered to be the first song that came out after this that uses her. Like, they changed it from the Shannon Sound to Freestyle. And that's considered to be the first free. St- I'm doing air quotes again. Freestyle song was <laughs> Africa came, Africa Bambata's Planet Rock, which is a fucking banger. Um, so yeah, if I could inspire something like that, yeah, it'd be fucking, like the Dave sound. And then somebody fucking cool puts it out. It's yeah. a Dave sound. Like yeah. I feel like it has to have a German, a German accent on at, it. Yeah, maybe. Have you heard the Dave sound? Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so not really a sad story for what happened to Shannon. She just like kind of. She like put out some more records and then was like, I don't want to be on the part of this label anymore, um, which was Atlantic Records. Then she did some tracks with people occasionally, went to school, toured, just kind of like did whatever. Um, nothing sad. Still alive. She did like a – there was like a freestyle event in New York City a couple years ago and she performed at it with a lot of other famous people, uh, musicians. So still kicking it, um, but just was never able to replicate the success of this song. So, yeah, great track. Uh, all right, Dan, what do you have up for us at number two? So this next one. So when we play this, I want the music to cut on before I start, before I announce the name. Okay. Um, just so we'll leave this as a note. So for my next one, you know this song. You love this song. It is immediately recognizable, I say, in the first quarter of a second that it starts. Yep. Like, it doesn't take any time at all as soon as that dun dun hits this is tainted love by soft cell off of their self-titled 1981 album uh this song is actually a cover um originally released by a singer named gloria jones in 1964 and this song was recorded in a day and a half and the song the print the version you know actually features the first vocal take that he, the Mark Allman did on this. Uh, there is nothing else. Like it was the first take. They were like, "Yeah, this is great, awesome print," and they used that. Um, they slowed the pace down. They did like a key change from the original, and instead of like guitars, bass, drums, synths, and drum machines, because you know it's 1980, we're not playing guitars and drums. That shit's for old people. Nope, not unless you're in a hair metal band, though. Yeah, exactly. Which like, yeah, yeah, yeah um, agreed. <laughs> but. So this song hit number eight on the U.S. charts, but this was like 
a huge, massive number one single in the UK. Uh, way bigger deal over there. Um, I love this song. I love the like the deadpan delivery of the lyrics. Also, I don't know anybody that can't sing all the words to this song. Like literally every word. It's like it's one of those songs you can hear twice and you know the entire song. It's perfect. Like oh yeah, the buildup in the in the pre-chorus is just so perfect, and then the chorus that just is just like it's it's almost just a riff. Like, cause it just says tainted love. Yeah. And like, that's it. The, like, the rare, yeah, like s- single phrase chorus. Yeah. Hard, hard to pull off. And like the, the backing vocals of just the woes and everything are so great. And then when he finally cracks out of the, finally cracks out of the deadpan for the don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so good, man. The bass line on this is fire. The weird, like the hand claps for the dent dent. Like it's it's so perfect man um it's so 80s goth like yes you know what i mean yes it's so incredible um and like a lot of those bands that i wanted to pick you know what i mean the like you know the cure is not a one-hit wonder and we were talking about like uh new order like technically blue monday is their only like top 10 hit but like there's like 20 new order songs that are great so i didn't want to pick that yeah that's that's a good point we didn't talk about it at the beginning but yeah if we like a lot of songs from an artist then that's not a one-hit wonder i don't yeah. chart the only reason we bring up billboard chart stuff on here and i do it a lot i know but it's only just to illustrate like how overall popular it is it doesn't like mean that that means no no more it's, to us. it's not this this is why it matters but right. like you know when you're doing a bit about one hit wonders you're like oh well then we gotta talk about it being a hit Exactly. You know what I mean? If yeah, it's exactly. a hit, then I want to tell you how big of a hit it was. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's, it, just, it just kind of like pushes the narrative a little bit further. It's like, here's all the reasons why I like it, but here's evidence as to how many other millions of people liked it. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is a huge song. And, you know, give, you know, put some respect on their name. Absolutely. All right. So uh, with that, Dave, I mean, I don't really have – there's not a lot of ton of backstory about Soft Cell. Yeah. Like – um it's a two-piece synthwave dance band. Oh, oh this you mean you don't out. have a, like a really sad death story you wanted to share with no, everybody like me? No, neither okay. of them like killed themselves or okay. like did anything. At least not through uh, the twenty years that I read into. I didn't get into their life in the two thousands. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I'm yeah, sure they're fine. That's my like I said. Just don't don't, don't give me so much time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got to keep them on a short leash, folks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so Dave, uh, up next, what is your, uh, I guess, your second favorite uh, hit from the 1980s? Yep. Uh, One Hit Wonder. Second favorite, One Hit Wonder. Fair, yes. Because if it was just hits, brother, that's a whole other podcast. Um, So up at number two for me is Come On Eileen by Dexy's Midnight Runners. Kind of stole this one from you. I was so mad when you sent me your list first. That's why I did it. I was going to suggest we come in. Because like I was like I know we're gonna have some of the same songs so let's do you say your number five I'll say my number five you say your number four snake I'll draft. say my number four yeah, and snake, snake draft. draft it yeah so like which we almost did for wrestling and yeah. I'm surprised I mean there was a lot we could we we chose from here but you know what man you took smooth from me and you took American football from me and I forget what I took from you but I think we're even you now. took army army from Ben Folds that's right yep all right so now we're even. So oh, this song's so fucking good. It's amazing. And shout out to Steve Godowski if you're listening to this podcast. This I think was like his favorite song ever. A good friend. I mean, and listener of the podcast. An '80s dance song with banjo and violin. 
Yeah. Also, the album's called Tu Rye, which is like the nonsensical stuff you can hear him saying in the song. It's just, yeah. it's whatever. They're like a farm punk band from Scotland or whatever. It's just so weird. So this came off of their 1982 album, like I said, called Tu Rye, which I don't know what that means. Um, there's, there's an incredible... Obviously, these are one-hit wonders. There's an incredible uh, scene in The Simpsons, the episode where Homer has the B-sharps, and he wins the Grammy, and, like, a baby Lisa's on the phone. And he's like, Lisa, did you see Daddy win the Grammy? And she's like, I did, Daddy. You beat Dexie's Midnight Runners. And he's like, well, that's not the last... Or he says, well, we, we haven't heard the last of them. Obviously, <laughs> obviously ripping on the fact that they're, women, they're a one-hit wonder. Um, which is just fantastic leave it to the simpsons so if you go on wikipedia uh you will notice that this band has 46 previous members listed 46 wow that's impossible are they like a ska band that was in a plane crash it's uh (laughs) the first part of that not the second part unless the plane crash is the lead singer being a giant asshole nice that's what happened they had 16 members quit the band before this song came out. 16 members before they became famous. At one point, I think it was just like him and a trombone player. And then our 12th drummer just it spontaneously exploded. You can't really dust for vomit. Um, <laughs> so this song um, reached number one on the US Hot 100. And it is the only reason that Michael Jackson didn't have back-to-back number one spots on their uh, with Billie Jean and Beat It. This was in for a week in between those two songs, which is kind of nuts. Hell yeah. Um, just breaking up the king there. Yeah. Uh, so the vocalist... Uh, oh, I should say, this song has two key changes, and I'm not sure exactly, but it several tempo changes throughout it. Oh, dude, when the bridge really hits... makes it, yeah. When, when the bridge hits and it goes halftime... Yes, which I think we're at right now, yeah. if, we're, if I time this up correctly. So yeah, it's it's great. It's a great dance song for that exact reason. You can kind of like do different things because of all the changes, and then it speeds back up and oh. does things. Oh, it's great. The, it's the just slow speed backup is the best part. It's the oh, best yeah. part of the song. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a more modern version of shout, except the guys. More Yo, massive. that's that's real good. That is it is an '80s shout. Yeah, essentially, yeah, because it's on at every wedding too. Um, so the vocalist's name is Kevin Rowland. And he originally claimed that this song, that Eileen is like a girl from his childhood who was friendly with him. And then later in life, he started getting these like sexual feelings towards her. Um, But then, I guess now, he said that it was just like how he felt the Catholic Church like repressed everyone's feelings, which... I don't know. I don't like when people change the meaning of things. Maybe it was just to blow people off earlier. Yeah, we're or looking maybe, at you, Elton John, Candle in the Wind. Yeah, or maybe yeah, he's just fuck. Being, yeah, I I don't like that. Just to stick to your guns. If you're blowing us off, say you blew us off for a time, so we at least know the difference. Um, so anyway, this guy Kevin Rowland was just a giant asshole. He would make them do like essentially like nine to five practices every day, and like nobody was allowed to drink or do anything um, fun essentially ever. Um, he just, he's basically the reason there's so many members. It sounds like he was just super controlling and just pictured him coming over like the studio monitor, like lunch is canceled today due to a lack of hustle. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> They've all got a body system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, body. It's so good. Um, yeah. So he like at one point, like all the, the like 
violin or whatever strings players. I don't know. I, I guess they have like a different Irish string or Scottish thing in there that I'm not familiar with. Um, they all quit or got fired. Doesn't matter. He brought in new ones and would just like change their names. He'd be like, "No, no, no, you're uh, this. It sounds more Scottish or Irish." And they were just like, <laughs> "What?" And then he would like nickname small groups of the band. The guy's a fucking lunatic. Um, yeah, what but, an egomaniac. Yeah, and he, he there's like multiple quotes about how him saying like, "It's my band. These are my songs." Just like like a fucking nut job. So obviously that many people were turned off by him because that's 46 previous members there's active members according to wikipedia or current members so there's more so there's more they're so, yeah. me- they're <laughs> up to maybe 50 members right of because of one man wrong. uh all right dan um what is your number one hit number one no my- shit number one one hit wonder from the 80s my number one one hit wonder from the 80s um, I think this is probably going to surprise a lot of people. It surprised me. Because this is not a song from the 1990s, which I think a lot of people attribute this song to. This song was released on the year of my birth in 1988. This song is Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Um, off of her self-titled album, as I said, released in 1988. Uh, This song hit number six on the Billboard charts at its peak position. And while she had a follow-up hit uh, talking about Revolution that some of you may know as it's also on this album, that song peaked at like number 70. So that shit doesn't count. Yeah, that's not really. That doesn't count. Um, This album went six times platinum. And I mean, I love a lyrical narrative song. Um, And this song is just, it's full of at the start heartbreak of like a rough childhood and then there's so much hope in it and then it just kind of ends with like i don't don't even know what i would call it like a a melancholy is kind of how it finishes um it's it's such a heartbreaking song and especially the the like how would i describe like the near acapella like delivery of the song Um, how it's just her and the guitar for the first, I would say like the first half Yeah. before the drums finally come in in the chorus. Um, it's so good. No backing vocals, no built up multi-tracked chorus. It's just this very simple, delicate, gorgeous song, man. Um, I love it so much. It's, it's, it's perfect. Like it's one of those songs that like, if you own an acoustic guitar and you know how to play you owe it to yourself to learn how to play this song because like if you just hit the ban you'll see everybody turn their head oh yeah because like you know you're not just some dick oh here's wonderwall it's like oh shit no that's a great song like is that guy gonna play this song um it's so good man i love it so much um, it's so beautiful it's soft it's just it's, and and it's sad fantastic. so like yeah. i'm i guess i'm bringing everybody back down yeah but i think this song is it's too good to not mention it's so oh, it's uh, i i'm just like sitting here fawning over it like a song that i've heard 3 million times mm-hmm. but it's just it's so good man um i can't i can't like fully articulate exactly why i like it so much especially like but like there's not a lot of these songs that are especially in the eighties that were like super melancholy and from a female perspective. 
Absolutely. Like, I mean, there were a lot of sad boys in the 80s. You know what I mean? The Cure existed and stuff like that. And sure. Obviously, there was, like, Susie and the Banshees. But, like, this was, like, a pop, like, college radio song, man. Yeah. The closest um, thing I can think of is, like, this woman's work. Like, something like that. Yeah. But, like, that's still... Yeah. That. I, but you're right. There's just not a lot of it. Like, there's no drum machine. There's no synths. There's no... Nope. It's just... Like, and that's why uh, initially when she came out, she had a really hard time trying to find a record deal because all the labels would hear this, like hear these demos and go like, the fuck is this, man? Yeah. Like, where's like, your giant loud snare? Where's yeah, Phil like, Collins? How are people going to cut rails to this bitch? Like, yeah. they were like, this is not, <laughs> like, this is not going to work. Yeah. Like, you know, nobody's skiing the fast car, bro. Uh, but are I mean, you a shark? Yeah. <laughs> like you a shark the... or a sheep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My only regret is getting bonitis. Is having bonitis. <laughs> um, yeah, that guy cannot do his cannot do his thing to this. Oh, he was so. But good. fuck that guy. Oh man, he was the that was a great character. Um, oh, it's perfect. So also, uh, one cool stat that I thought about this: uh, there's really not a lot written about Tracy Chapman. Um, she's a pretty private person. Oh, so a lot of info about her isn't really known and she did a follow-up <laughs> record or two but like and she has some like later writing credits i think she did what a lot of 90s and eight, late 80s early 90s people did where they wrote a hit song and then they were like you know i'm pretty good at writing songs why don't i just do this yeah and so smart. rather than stay in the limelight she just writes songs and have to tour all the time because back then that was like you know 11 months out of the year you had to be on the road yeah but also back then you could make money from Record having sales. a record yeah you know yeah, what i mean could. album sales made money 20 bucks a pop for a cd or tape like you know what i mean you could true. live off that yeah that's true uh, especially but, especially when there was far less game in town and you were one of only several things that were sold in the store like yeah, 25 new releases every week yeah yeah it's com yeah it was completely different but uh the one cool stat that i did find about this is pitchfork uh if you know them pitchfork Generally very cynical, cool kids that hate everything that's popular. Yep. But they named this song as the number 86 out of the top 200 um, song of the 1980s. Uh, very cool. This is the 86th best song of the decade, according to them. Nice. And I might rate it higher because it's one of my favorite songs of that decade. And it should be yours, too, because it's beautiful and it's great. And it doesn't sound like – I think that's the biggest – that's what I'm trying to phone over, and that's my biggest reason for liking it, is there is not another song that sounds like this at all. Your favorite 80s song is the one that doesn't sound like it's from that the 80s. That doesn't sound like Man. it's from, but it doesn't sound like, does it sound like it's from the 90s because everyone heard it and went, oh, I want to do that. Yeah, there's no, like, Mazzy Star or Lisa Loeb sounding songs, probably. Yeah, and it's like. like that come out, I mean, yeah, that's. That, that's the start of the sad girl thing. Yeah, it's like the Rolling Stones coming out, and then suddenly every band's like, oh, let's just play old blues songs. Right. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, uh, like... And there's nothing wrong with that. No, like, that's like, how That's how new genres get started. That's how... Like, like I talked about in the Shannon song. Like, that, that created... That song created a new style of music. That's a great thing. Yeah. And, like, you know, you hear, like, you know, the bubble bursts and stuff gets less cool after a while, but, like, you can't take... You can't throw that on her song. No, because like her song is the reason that stuff happened. Yeah, there's no, um, yeah, and and now we look back on it fondly, and we will continue to uh, do so. She's so good, man. There's a there's a live video on YouTube of her playing this song Ooh. at like some concert festival in like 1990, 
And she's just playing it by herself. So there's not even the like drums and stuff that come in in the chorus. It's just her. And like the whole crowd, you could hear a pin drop. It's so oh, man. good, man. That's beautiful. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, give Tracy Chapman a try. So yeah, with that, Dave, uh, what is your number one favorite one hit wonder from the 1980s? All right. I'll bring us back up after, I guess, bookending this with something super sad. I'll go the other direction this time. Number one for me is Take On Me by AHA. Not a bummer at all. Such a great song. Also, Dan, this is the song I was alluding to earlier where you're talking about the uh, Lynn drum machine that's used on this song. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Um, so this is just like an absolute masterpiece. It's got everything you would want in an 80s song. It's it's actually like kind of nuts to me that these guys were only a one-hit wonder because they were around for so long and clearly talented. This guy can fucking sing. Like, but anyway, so... This um, this came out on their debut album in 1984, titled "Hunting High and Low." Um, the band is from Oslo, Norway, which a lot of people may not know, um, and they've actually released 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 ten studio albums. Uh, the most recent one being February of 2015, which is pretty nuts. Um, they're the first Norwegian band ever to hit number one in the U.S. charts, um, and I think a big well, actually. A big part of why it became so successful is because of the music video that came out with this too. And if you haven't oh, seen it, yeah, man, it's it's perfect. I mean, you've so got to watch it. They, so insanely cutting edge too. At yeah, the time. yeah. It's like it's a combination of like pencil sketch animation and real live shots. Um, there's a great parody of it on Family Guy where Chris is at the grocery store and reaches in for like a thing of milk and then just gets pulled into this video. And then it's just like dancing and being chased by them and then just like falls through a wall. And they're like, where were you? He's like, I don't know. Like all freaked out. It was great. But um, so they, uh, two, the two founding members of the band AHA were um, in another band uh, in, in Norway called Bridges. And they had written this song actually for that band. And it was supposed to be like a more punk song. But because it was the 80s and, and synths and stuff were coming out, they did want to include some of that stuff. But they didn't want it to be like a fully electronic song, I guess. Um, so after Bridges breaks up, they move to London and are trying to do their, their music career there. They get this apartment and they start working with this guy and demoing. And are actually able to, based on their demos, get a deal with Warner Brothers in the UK. Um, and so they, they hook him up with this guy who's using, I forget the name of the synth, it's something I'd never heard of, and apparently he just made like this overproduced, super electronic sounding song, and they absolutely hated it. And they still put it out, the label did, because they had already signed them, and they were just like, no, 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 you don't get to do this again, that's it, that's going out. And it peaked at like 187, which I didn't even know you could get that high on yeah, the charts. That's a loose peaked. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it gets up there, and um, obviously they're disappointed, and um, understandably so. The, because when, the, I, when I peak, you'll feel it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, can't, um, I couldn't get it out of my head. I'm sorry. So good. Um, so <laughs> so um, there's a guy who was uh, from the UK who was actually working for the US version of Warner Brothers, and met the singer. And and was like this guy like looks like he could be a movie star. He's 
he can sing so well. Like, I'm going to invest in these guys. So he he picks them from Warner Brothers UK and signs them to the to the US version. And he's like, guys, we're going to give you a second shot at recording this. So they record it again, and it flops again. And they're like, what the fuck? So then they move. But they but in the second one, they got to use more of the synths that they wanted to use. So they, they were using like a, a Roland Juno 60 and a Yamaha DX7, which are... Um, if your synth people are like some of the most famous uh, synths that you can pl- that that were played back then, I think the Juno is what was used for the Stranger Things theme song, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, um, they're like much better synths. The sounds way better. They're way happier with it, but it again doesn't do very well. At the same time, they released just some like shit, like non not memorable music video. So this guy um, who signed them to um, to the U.S. version of Warner Brothers is like, no, there's, I still believe in these guys. I've invested a ton in them already. Fuck it. I'm just going to throw more money at it. And so he ends up getting them um, another producer who they hire to then refine the sound that they had recorded in the second session and hires a guy named Steve Barron to do the video that we were discussing, which is incredible. And it's cutting edge. And it was kind of like coming out as music videos were becoming a huge thing and now with this new refined version of the song this kick-ass video behind it it suddenly skyrockets on the third attempt to number one on the billboard charts so i don't know if there's any other songs that have like kind of been recorded and released and then re-recorded and re-released so many times to end up becoming number one but i thought that was really fascinating it's just really a strange journey for a song to go through in my opinion um so there's some weird facts about this band. They never did anything else of note, at least here in the U.S., but they actually hold the Guinness World Record for having the biggest attendance at a rock concert at 198,000 during the Rock in Rio Festival in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And I think it was the second one of those. It was like 1987, but uh, Wikipedia is not very clear on that. So they did play there again at some point. Um, it's like a 30th anniversary, but it didn't line up with the 30 years. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. But hmm. they somehow um, they had they they had a lot of success, but there was never another U.S. charting song. And there's no other songs that I've I've I think I've had this conversation Dan with you today and with other people in the past. It's like name another Aha song. There's no way in the fucking world that I've ever met the no not with a gun to my head. No, you can't because there there aren't any, and yet. They've somehow apparently sold over a hundred million records worldwide. Maybe it was all this song. I, I don't know. That's. I think so. I think it had that to be because this song is a fucking. Big. It's a huge song. I mean, everybody knows this song. It's used all over the place. It's so popular. Everybody tries to sing it because it's impossible for it, a normal man. It's to sing such it. a good song. I like the ska cover of it. The real big fish. That's, that's that Dan. That's saying something. Yeah, that's how good this song is. Yeah. Um, and you showed me like an incredible stripped down version they did that was like, yeah, if like, you, yeah, if that, you haven't heard nuts. the version that they do for the MTV unplugged set, um, it appeared in the Deadpool two movie that they use. But if you haven't listened to that version or watched that video on YouTube, it is heartbreaking, man. There's all it's these, really like good. all these moms like crying and like reliving their like 15 year old like days. It's so adorable, man. And it's like, they like key change the song a little bit and it's way more like it's almost with like a pump organ and an acoustic yes. guitar. It's really, it's really intimate. somber and like intimate. And like you feel even from the video, you feel like you're in the room. Yeah. 
and obviously the guy could sing. Like I said, that 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 exec basically was like, no, I'm I'm taking a chance on these guys. Yeah. Like I believe in these guys, and like and even I mean, though it was one hit, it was a huge hit. Yeah, and that bro has aged like a fine wine. Oh, oh he yeah. is still insanely handsome, man. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. One of my uh, one of my favorite parts of this song is when he just makes the random like little like noises throughout. He's like, like if you listen closely, like you can hear him just doing some of these like little riffs throughout it. I feel like the lyrics, the lyrics to me are very clear that like English is the second language. Yeah, because it's one of those like when you see the lyrics and like how the phrases are made, it like sounds like. When you do like Google Translate, yes. Like when I try to like when I take like a Spanish phrase and try to put it to English, and I'm like, correct, yeah. This is weird. Yeah. Like this isn't how. Like it has the it has the words right, but the flow's wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a, a strange set of lyrics for the chorus, but it worked. And the way he sings, it's the only reason those words are memorable. No, it's perfect. And I mean, like, goddamn that high note. Oh, it's imp- yeah. Another just fucking great. All these are great songs. All of these were great. What a what a fun episode this was. I think um, this is going to be a number one week for people to get at the playlist. Yes, because like this is awesome. Yeah, and we might this might be the first week we leave some of our near misses on. I um, love it because yeah, like I'll do it. We'll just give you a sick twenty twenty five track playlist. Oh, baby. Yeah, don't. of like these excellent '80s songs. Yep, and luckily for you, I won't be researching the life and death of all of them, so you'll just be able to listen to them and, and if you dare, look up their Wikipedia page on your own. Dave will have an attached addendum for this <laughs> to let you know the horrors that have befallen every person that's written a song in our picks. Oh well, um, little peek behind the curtain, everyone. Uh, we're gonna have another little bit of extra time here. Is this is late summer and we're both getting our vacation weeks in so watch out because i've got another two weeks of research to do baby this next one's gonna be dark yeah we're gonna have to pick like favorite like childhood or songs from childhood or like favorite songs barney sang to the no, kids no dude then your song's gonna be like fred rogers and you're gonna like have me bawling <laughs> on the fucking chair like remember when he was nice and sweet and taught everybody to love themselves and then he died oh god now i'm sad all right well let's end it on a high note that's our list um Take a listen to the pod, Take a listen to the accompanying playlist. Like we said, we're gonna throw some of our our B sides in there this week because we just love sharing music with you with you all. And um, this was this is one where there's a lot of fun ones and some that maybe we'll include some that had like one or two other close hits that we didn't include because of that. So follow us on um, Spotify for that. Follow us on social media for all of the updates and uh, some discussion on what you thought of the podcast, what you songs you would have chosen instead. Maybe you've got a hair metal song that you thought was better than everything that we chose. Probably not, but give it to us anyway. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is so you get real-time updates on when new episodes are released, um, just in case you're not able to pay attention to us on social media. Dan, tell everyone where they can find us. All right, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under at D&D Music Factory. That's the letter D, the letter N, and the letter D again, followed by Music Factory. Uh, you can find me personally at at Lukewarm Steve Austin on Instagram and Dave at at DF Hughes Jr. on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, if you'd like to hear this week's songs without any of our witty banter or input, uh, the weekly playlist can be heard on Spotify. Search under D&D Music Factory for playlists, and you can subscribe to make sure you get notified when the list comes up each week. All right.
See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.